People are trickling back in after dropping their kids off. Yes. Um, Firstly, I just want to apologise. I have a bad neck, so I do feel like I'm walking like a robot because I need to, so I can't turn to my little right. So you just have to bear with me. I'll just pray quickly before we start. Lord, I thank you for that worship time. I thank you that you're here with us right now, Lord. And I pray as I bring what you've told me to speak, people will receive it. And uh, it's not about me, but it's about you. Amen. So this morning I wanted to talk to you about contentment. And it's a kind of a running theme. Andy talked about praise this morning uh, briefly when he started. And Giles talked about it last week. And when Giles asked me what I was going to preach on, and I said contentment, and he said, oh, guess what I'm preaching on this week, as in last week. And he said contentment, and I thought, oh, man. But actually, I think God maybe just needs us to hear it more than once, and that's not a bad thing. I'm aware that life can be really hard, and that we all go through some really tough times in our lives. And I don't want you to think that standing here saying that we need to pretend that everything's fine, because uh, it's not always fine. But what I hope I say is refreshing and uplifting, not condescending in any... Thank you. Excuse me. Please know that I need to hear what I'm saying just as much as I feel that God's told me to share it with you. What I want to look at is how in every situation in our lives, whether it's good or bad, whether we're going through some really tough times or whether life's really good, is how we can be content and how this becomes possible through our faith in Jesus. Contentment means fulfillment, satisfaction, gladness, a feeling of quiet happiness, and it's a deep emotion and feeling. We went to America last year on holiday to visit some family and friends, and uh, we travelled to our friend's house in Tennessee, and when we got there, she'd set up um, a little station sort of in each room of her house uh, for the boys. So a train set in one room, some Duplo in another. And uh, in the lounge, she'd set up some Playmobil just behind the sofa, particularly for Freddie. He loves, um, he's five, he loves playing with little like farms and stuff. Um, and I took this photo of him. And it's not, it's not much, it won't mean anything to you, but he was there. He did there for hours. And when I showed our friend Kathy this photo, um, she said, oh, I'm so glad he was happy there because I felt like he might have felt as if he was shoved out of the way, like he couldn't be seen. We didn't want him to be seen. But I said, oh, he didn't fall. In fact, he was so happy just playing there for hours. And I, I felt like we can learn a lot from that. And I love how God speaks to us through simple things like a picture of my five-year-old playing. But actually, Freddie didn't care where he was. He didn't look around and feel sad that he was behind the sofa. All he cared about was that he had stuff to play with and he, he kept focused on the Playmobil. And I feel like we can be like that in life. We look to our left and our right and despair and think, oh, all this, all this stuff's going on around us. But if we focus on God, then we won't worry about that stuff. And I'm going to, I'm going to read Philippians 4. Paul is risen, having been persecuted for spreading the gospel. I'm going to read the whole thing, so bear with me. It says, Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stay true to the Lord. I love you and long to see you, dear friends, for you are my joy and the crown I receive for my work. Now I appeal to you, Adoia and Sintish, 
Please, because you belong to the Lord, settle your disagreement. And I ask you, my true partner, to help these two women, for they worked hard with me and the others. They worked along with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are written in the book of life. Always be full of joy of the Lord. I say it again, rejoice. Let everyone see that you are considerate in all you do. Remember, the Lord is coming soon. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. Then you will experience God's peace, which exceeds anything that we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and minds as you live in Christ Jesus. My brothers and sisters, one final thing. Fix your thoughts on what is true and honourable and right and pure and lovely and admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Keep into practice all you have learned and received everything you heard from me and saw me doing. Then the God of peace will be with you. How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. For I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. As you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then travelled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. Even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift for you. Rather, I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. At the moment, I have all that I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with some person with a long name. They are sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Now all glory to God the Father forever and ever. Amen. The lack of contentment that marks our nation's evidence in many ways. We can see it in consumerism and advertising. People aren't happy to just live within their means. They're always searching for more or for something better. The advertising industry tells us that we couldn't possibly be happy unless we buy that. We're always searching. We want a better house, a better job, a better car. And these things aren't all necessarily bad for us. But in the end, they bring discontentment because they're not meant to satisfy us for long. And having, having travelled to Southeast Asia, Julia, I checked that this is okay to say it, though I've already said it in the first service. Um, we noticed when we first went there that people there want to make their skin lighter. Put, it's in their face creams, it's in their sun creams, it's in their deodorants. They, if you go as a person with very pale skin like me, I come away even paler because... There's no possibility of me trying to get a tan at all because if I use their stuff, it makes me whiter. And I told my friends there that in the UK, we're the complete opposite in that we buy fake tan to put on our face, our bodies, and we use sunbeds and we sit out in the sun hoping for a bit of colour. And there's nothing wrong with either of those. That's just the world we live in. But actually, I, I thought it was a good example of how you could always want what the other person's got. But it doesn't mean that you're happy truly inside. It's easy to look at other people's lives and think it's all right for them. They've got more money. They're not poorly. They're a lovely house, a lovely marriage. And it's... We can have the mentality that they're great. But if we truly knew what went on in their lives, what struggles they'd been through, or 
what they had to do to get to that place, then we might be content with what we'd got. And I always think the grass, it still needs cutting on their side of the fence. Being content means that we have an inner rest of peace, or peace that comes from having been made right with Jesus, and knowing that he is in control of all that happens to us. It means that we have our focus on the kingdom of God. And the Bible calls us to allow our convictions, not our circumstances, to govern our sense of contentment. True biblical is a conviction that Christ's power, purpose and provision is sufficient for every circumstance. Having faith in him we will have all that we need, that he is enough for us. And I and we need to learn how to walk through all kinds of adversity, believing in and experiencing Christ's sovereignty and sufficiency. We have to choose to rest in his good promises Trust him, not lean on our own circumstances, and acknowledge him in all that we And Paul, as we read previously in Philippians, learned to be content in all conditions. He was in prison when he wrote that. And I don't think it came naturally to him, and I don't think it happened straight away. I don't think it was instantaneous. I think it's a process, and it's something that we learn each day from walking with God. And it may be a choice that we have to make in the morning before we get out of bed. Because our attitudes in the trials and tribulations and our deliberate submission to his sovereignty in the trial is crucial. We know that God uses all things for our good. It says it, Romans 8, verse 28. It's one of my favorite scriptures. And I remind myself daily that, and it, this is the Passion Translation, and it says, So we are convinced that every detail of our lives is continually woven together to fit into God's perfect plan of bringing good into our lives. For we are his lovers who have been called to fulfill a designed purpose. Nothing that happens in our lives along our journey surprises God, because he knows. And I think, as I was writing this, I thought, well, this sounds lovely on paper. It's very easy to read it, but how on earth can we actually do it? How can we live this out in the midst of sorrow and suffering? When we're in the depths of the of despair, how can we be content? And as Christians, followers of Jesus, friends of God, we've got the answer. Praise is the acknowledgement that God is in control. Praise is the way to the heart of God. And that's where our contentment will come. If we dwell in the knowledge that God is sovereign over all and everything in our lives, that he's in charge and recognize him as Lord of all. <coughs> Lord of all. I read a book last week called Prison to Praise, and in it there's just a little nugget I wanted to share with you. It says, Prayer is the highest form of communion with God, and one that always releases a great deal of power into our lives. Praising is not something that we do because we feel good, rather it is an act of obedience. Often the roster of praise is done in sheer teeth-gritting willpower, yet when we persist in it, somehow the power of God is released into us and into the situation. First in a trickle, perhaps, but later in a growing stream that finally floods us and washes away the old hurts and scars. The book of Psalms is a praise book, but David was quite good at arguing with God and telling him that his life was difficult in times, but he was also really good at praising him. Psalm 34, 1-3 says, Lord, I am bursting with joy over what you've done for me. My lips are full of perpetual praise. I'm boasting of you and all your works. So let all who are dis discouraged take heart. Join me, everyone. Let's praise the Lord together. 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 6, Thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. 
Ephesians 5:20 says, "Give thanks for everything to God the Father." There's a pattern forming. When I was reading the scripture, it says it over and over again. And I think sometimes we can feel like it's a sacrifice to praise. We don't feel like it. Life's difficult. We're struggling. God doesn't feel like he's with us. He feels like he's right over there. And we can feel quite alone. But praise sets our focus back on back sorry, praise sets our focus off ourselves and our own lives and circumstances and back onto God. Our spirits are renewed and refreshed in his presence. It says in Acts that Paul and Silas were sitting in prison praying and singing to God. And suddenly there was an earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and all the prisoners' bonds were unfastened. And I was reading yesterday, I was getting quite excited about it, about how the Moabites and some of the other armies declared war on Jehoshaphat. And it said he was terrified by this news, as you can imagine, the army. And he begged God for some guidance. It says that. And he stood before his people and firstly acknowledged God was in control. He proclaimed that he was the ruler of the earth and heavens. And then the Lord said to them through someone else, do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged by this mighty army for the battle is not yours, but God's. And it goes on to say, but you will not need to even fight. Take position, then stand still and watch the Lord's glory. I always think Jehoshaphat might have thought, what is he on about? Because how are we just going to stand there? We'll get, we'll get killed. But later, King Jehoshaphat started worshipping God and he appointed singers to go before the army and they were singing, give thanks to the Lord, his faithful love endures forever. And it then says, at that moment that they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab and Mount Seir fighting each other. And the allies, they all turned to each other and killed each other. And it says there wasn't one survivor. So when the army of Judah marched on and looked over to where they thought the battle was going to start, all they could see were dead bodies. They couldn't see anybody to fight, which I think they must have been amazed at. It says not a single one of them escaped. And the plunder, it says the plunder, the stuff that was all left, like the, the equipment, took them three days to clear. And that place was named the Valley of Blessing, which got its name because people praised and thanked the Lord there. They returned to Jerusalem overjoyed that the Lord had given them victory. Praise opens doors. Praise is a language of faith. Praise is the key to the door of joy, peace, love. Praise ushers us into God's presence. Praise opens the gates of heaven. Praise disarray and dilutes fear and concern. Praise tarnishes sadness and magnifies goodness. And praise is the answer. In the midst of insecurity, we are secure if we acknowledge that we're in charge. It brings steadfastness. God is higher than life. And if we look either side of us, like going back to my picture of Freddie... He didn't care where he was. He didn't look either side because we can despair when we look around us and see what's going on. But I want, we need to keep our focus on, on God and thank him and praise him in every circumstance. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the the quiet confidence that ultimately everything's going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. So let's appreciate the season we're in right now. Like we're talking about the storm outside. We know it will pass because it always does. 
And it can be like that in our lives. And um, Right now it's winter. The days are, are short. The nights are long. It's dark and dreary. But we know that spring's coming. It's just around the corner. And it, it's never not come. Spring's never not come. It, sometimes it takes time and we think spring's not coming. But then it does. And when it does, we see restoration and new life. And things that are new, fresh and ready to blossom. And you know, it's okay in life to be disappointed. You can be disappointed and content at the same time. Being content is a choice and it starts with us in our hearts. And I pray that God will help to rely on him during our weaknesses and praise him through the storm. True contentment is only found in him. And we should rest in him. I just want to encourage you this morning, if you're struggling, it's okay. God knows what's going on. He's in control. His promises are always good. His plans for us are for good. And if you need somebody to pray with you today, at the end, because you're going through stuff that's hard to carry, then feel free to ask one of us. That's fine. We'd love to pray with you. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9 to 10 says, My grace is sufficient for you. For power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecution, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Romans 5, verse 3 to 5 says, Even in times of trouble, we have a joyful confidence, knowing that our precious pressures will develop in us a patient endurance. And patient endurance will refine our character and prove characters leads us back to hope. And this hope is not a disappointing fantasy because we know, sorry, because we can now experience the endless love of God cascading into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who lives in us. I want to finish with a testimony. Most of you will know the song uh, Raise a Hallelujah. We've sung it a couple of times now. And there's a massive story behind this song. I'll just read it to you now. Bethel Music CEO Joel Taylor and his wife Janie took their two-year-old son Jackson to the hospital with what they thought was a normal child's illness. The Taylors soon discovered that Jackson's kidneys were shutting down due to an E. coli virus attacking his organs. Jackson then began to undergo blood transfusions and go on dialysis, suffering from seizures and respiratory issues. Soon after this, their four-year-old daughter, Addie, was diagnosed with the same infection. And faced with the possible loss of their son and now their daughter, the couple cried out to their community for prayer and support. Joel Taylor recorded a video on Instagram asking for prayer from the community that soon went viral. As Christians from all over the world joined in prayer and intercession for the Taylors. Worship leaders and friends the community of the community, Jonathan and Melissa Helser were in constant contact with the Taylors from the beginning of the crisis and received news one night that the Taylors didn't think Jackson would make it through the night. As soon as I got that text, I felt like this giant of unbelief stood in front of me, Jonathan Helser said. I thought Jackson's going to die tonight and we're, gonna, we're going to need a miracle. Sorry, we're not going to see the miracle. As the Helsers dove into prayer over Jackson, a new song came out. All of a sudden, out of my gut, this song came out in the face of the giant. I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. This song became an anthem for the Taylors throughout the rest of the battle over Jackson's life. 
Making worship their weapon, more friends from the community came to the hospital room and Saxon and Addy. After several weeks in the hospital, numerous treatments and countless prayers, the Taylors were admitted to go home with two healthy children. Joel Taylor recounts his experience. God's timing often doesn't make sense until we look back to see that mountains were climbed and canyons were crossed on no strength of our own. In the battle for Jackson's life, the global church community rose up like a mighty army and joined us in prayer and worship all over the world. Artistically healed and today is perfectly healthy. I'll just read the lyrics of it of that song. It says, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. I raise a hallelujah louder than the unbelief. I raise a hallelujah, my weapon is a melody. I raise a hallelujah, heaven comes to fight for me. And I'm going to sing in the middle of the storm. Louder and louder, you're going to hear praises roar. Up from the ashes, hope will arise. Death is defeated, the king is alive. I raise a hallelujah with everything inside of me. I raise a hallelujah, I will watch the darkness flee. I raise a hallelujah in the middle of the mystery. I raise a hallelujah, fear you lost your hold on me. And Lord, I just want to thank you that you're with us in all circumstances, that you're all that we need. And it's only in you that we can learn true contentment. I pray you'll help us to be content in everything that we're going through, whether it's good times or bad times. I pray that we'll allow you to become sovereign over our lives and we'll keep our focus on you. When we feel everything's falling apart around us, Lord, I pray we'll keep our eyes fixed on you, that people will be encouraged and know that you use everything for the good of those that love you. Lord, I thank you for being with us here today. And I just pray for the people that are here. pray you'll be with them. And I pray that they'll feel your presence, Lord. Feel that you're walking alongside them in all that they're going through. Amen.